Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You're listening to a Fremantle Australia podcast recorded at the Sydney studios. And a warning, this podcast contains adult themes and explicit language. So tell me, tell me, tell me, I need to know, how did it happen? What did you do? Oh, tell me, tell me. Got all forever to tell you this, I just need to know. It was two days after Christmas in 2011 when Vivian first contacted me. I picked up the phone and asked her to come meet me immediately. Had I known the tangled web of deceit and years of investigation that was to follow my request... I probably would have reconsidered. My name is Julia Robson. I'm a private investigator, and you're listening to Chasing Charlie. I am your modern-day private investigator, not the cigar-smoking stakeout kind. My specialty is using open-source intelligence and information that's available online to try and solve cases. I use the resources that I have available at my fingertips to track someone's digital footprint and find out as much as I can. It's taken me from busting Nigerian crime gangs and outing a drug-dealing kindy teacher to finding missing people and uncovering a troll sending death threats and everything in between. Essentially, as a PI, I am a problem solver. A lot of my work comes from people who have fallen for someone catfishing, posing to be someone else online. Some of these are what I would call white catfish lies, smaller lies about age, using a photo from 10 years ago and so on. But some of them are big, really big, and have malignant intent, and these are the ones I get involved with. The case that was to draw me in for the next seven years was no small white lie. It was more like a great white. Dear Julia, I am in a very serious situation and am seeking your guidance and help. I have finally come to the realisation that I have been taken financially by a man I have been dating since October this year. I have much information on him. As to how much is genuine, I can't be sure. In hindsight, all the signs were there, and whilst I consider myself an intelligent woman, I have allowed myself to be duped. I'm sure you have heard this situation many times before and will again. I am devastated and gutted, both mentally and financially, at what has happened. I have the impression he now suspects I am aware. I have no way of contacting him apart from mobile and only hope you can help. It's really nerve-wracking to pick up the phone and ring an investigator who you've never met before and tell them your most personal secrets and the fragile situation you're going through. So it takes a lot for people to get in touch and say, look, 
I'm having a problem. Can you please help me? Before Vivian contacted me, she had found herself in a situation she didn't think she'd be facing in her 50s. After marrying young and spending over 30 years dedicated to raising her children, they had long moved out of home and her marriage had run its course. I had zero boyfriends before I met my husband. I always was attracted to radical, unusual type of people, either in a motorcycle gang or um, perhaps in a rock band or just someone different. And then along came my husband who was normal, decent, polite, kind, a genuine person, had a good job and just seemed like an ideal, exactly what my parents wanted. I was very young. We were married earlier by back then. I was 22 when I married. I was 20 when I met him. And he just seemed to be exactly what I wanted. We had similar ideals in life. We both wanted a house. We didn't like debt. We were both decent people. Looking back now, I can see things that were missing in the relationship. It seemed right at the time, so we got married. And then we drifted apart like a lot of couples. And eventually I left after my children were grown up. Vivian was happy in her single life. She had a close circle of friends, enjoyed her work in customer service, and had moved into an apartment that was her haven. She had joined a gym and now felt that the time was right and that she was ready for a new relationship. I just wanted to meet a decent person. Originally, when I first went online, it was to meet someone to go out with and have social occasions. And I was actually looking for somebody who would like perhaps seeing the Melbourne Symphony Orchestra or the ballet, um, as well as movies and dinner. They were lovely people, and but most of the time there was nothing much, no spark there to continue the relationship. I've stayed friends with a couple. Vivian felt she knew herself well and would know when the right man came along. I am honest and a decent person. Sometimes I'll take risks, but calculated risks. I'm very loyal, very, very loyal to my friends. Um, I'd give them anything I've got. Very generous. Um, I find I'm used up by people a lot because I'm too generous, too giving. I like security and security of knowing I've got a regular income. That's me. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a quirky, strange sense of humour. I'll often go to the movies and sit there and laugh when no one else is. And they'll stare at me and think, what's she laughing at? It'll be something that just tickles my fancy. I've got a very strange sense of humour. Yeah, I was a uh, very quiet student at school. Always did the right thing. Um, Was supposed to be school captain and declined. I didn't want the attention. For the first time in her adult life, Vivian was able to go on as many dates as she wanted. Whether they were set up by friends or found online, she was enjoying her newfound independence. She was also enjoying exploring aspects of her sex life she had always been curious about. Yeah, that was interesting. That was something I hadn't done before. I hadn't been with two other people at the same time. I just think the whole threesome thing is just so overrated. It's just arms and legs and limbs and who's going to do who and one sits back and masturbates, the other one's doing things and who's going to be next and I'm bored, my legs are aching, I'm tired. Oh, just off. (laughs) I couldn't be bothered. It's not as much fun as it seems. Up for fun but always sure to keep herself safe, Vivian knew that ultimately, what she wanted was a secure, monogamous relationship. Almost half of heterosexual couples now meet online, and Vivian had no reason to believe she couldn't be one of them. A friend suggested I 
have a look on Craigslist. I'd never heard of it before, but I had a look and most of the the listings just seemed like a sex site. I came across this one and sometimes I'd, I got in the habit of looking every couple of days and there was one that said um, he was a millionaire. We all like to highlight our best points online and generally the advice on dating sites is to be honest about what you're looking for. I was curious to know what Charlie's ad had said. Something like um, millionaire seeking lifetime partner. I am a successful businessman, tired of all the shit and insincerity of women chasing after my money. I've been working overseas. I've now come back to Australia. I'm looking for a mature woman. We can share our lives together. And it painted this entire picture of two people sailing off to the sunset. It was almost like a dare the way it was written that, um, are you this woman? Um, can you live up to this of what I need? Um, I thought, He's got to be joking. A millionaire doesn't have to write the word millionaire to start with. Anyone who's that wealthy doesn't advertise their wealth because they've got a lot of gold diggers after them. And as a joke, I just wrote back. I can't even remember what I wrote, but but it was obviously got his... He thought, oh, here's another sucker. Looking back, he must have thought that. They corresponded for three weeks and Vivian found herself more and more attracted to what he had to say. Do you remember any of those conversations? He's tired of the games people play. He's fed up with the endless one-night stands, the women chasing after his money. Um, He wants a genuine woman he can love and care for and share the fruits of his labours. He's travelled all over the world. He wants to settle back down and just enjoy his life. He kept saying travel will feature heavily in his life. Six months in France, six months here. Did he say he was Australian? No, he didn't say. Didn't say at that stage. He told me later he was from New Zealand. He was born there. He got married. He had a wife. His wife deserted him after four years. He was left with two children to bring up. I now know that's all false. The part about being a Kiwi was true, though, and that bothered me. I am a really proud Kiwi, and there's not that many of us around. So the idea that of all the Kiwis I know, there was one out there that was bad really upset me. But that was just the tip of the iceberg. At this point, I had no idea as to the depth of his deception. This man had introduced himself to Vivian as Charlie, a successful businessman who was in Melbourne to negotiate the purchase of the Ark Apartments, a salubrious 10-storey residential tower block in the inner city. Charlie claimed to have built his growing asset portfolio through family wealth and his own business as a short-term loan provider. During that time, he said a lot of things which didn't make much sense to me. They seemed too, like, fantasy, too um, unreal. Things like, um, I want a partner who will be willing to travel overseas with me. I plan to live back in France for six months a year and the other six months in Australia. I have a, I have a lavish house in Southport in Queensland and I've come to Melbourne en route to Southport. Um, and the plan is I plan to find somebody to spend the rest of my life with um, who's sincere and genuine and challenges me. And it just seemed to hook me in. I'd questioned certain things. He seemed to give me answers that made sense. He said he had businesses overseas. He'd been living overseas for quite some time in the south of France. Um, He mentioned different towns. It was somewhere near Nice, 
Um, he said he had a yacht there. Me being the inquisitive person I am, I wrote down all these bits and pieces he was telling me. Every time I asked him something, he seemed to have an answer which was plausible. Um, it didn't take long before I really did want to meet him. And we took it from there. I was keen to know what the plans were for their first date. He told me what was going to happen. I want us to go out to dinner. And he said, no, no, I need to be with you. I don't want strangers around us. We need privacy. I'll come to your place. I'd never done that before. I'd never, ever met anyone at my place because my place was my sanctuary. That's where I came back to. It's my own little world. But this, this just seemed, in the three weeks, it was like three months building up of what, what our future was going to be and what was going to happen. Look, I can practically hear you sign in exasperation. It's a well-known dating no-no. Never arrange for the first meeting with someone you've met online to take place at your home. Ever. And Vivian knows this. This is one of the biggest dangers of professional con men, and I'd already suspected that Vivian wasn't Charlie's first victim. They know exactly what they're doing. Con men like Charlie groom people, bombarding them with messages and calls and testing the waters to make sure they're as pliable and as emotionally dependent on them as possible, making you feel as though you're the centre of their world. They find your vulnerabilities and prey on them. It's an interview process. If you're the sensitive type, they will create a heart-wrenching event in their life, like a partner dying in a car accident, or something equally devastating. Or they may identify with a tragedy in your life and claim a similar story happened to them. They will shower you with promises of what your relationship will hold in the future. Charlie was doing all of this, and his chosen method of indoctrination was in the form of text messages. Lots of them. Thousands of texts. Thousands. My first phone bill was $3,000, over $3,000. He rarely ever spoke on the phone. The whole thing was SMS. Thousands and thousands of SMSs. Charlie's continual bombarding with text messages was all-consuming. Vivian now preferred to isolate herself with her phone, locked in a secret SMS world with him. It may sound far-fetched, but that's exactly what people like Charlie want. A groomer's goal is to separate you from other people, from your daily routine and from your support network, and make your relationship with them your absolute priority. They segregate you to the point that you don't want to go out and see other people, because you are scared you'll miss their phone call. Cutting you off from those you would generally confide in is really important to them. So if, for example, you regularly catch up with your friends on a Thursday, they will likely create their own mini-emergencies on Thursdays, shifting your focus back onto them. They don't want you to actually talk to anyone else about it. So your relationship with them becomes this all-encompassing secret that you share. Despite the fact they were still yet to meet in person, this relentless messaging was starting to affect Vivian's work and her personal life. She would spend all night replying to his messages rather than go out with her friends. Charlie's grooming was working. She just wanted to please him. It's hard for someone listening to this to understand how overwhelming the need to please him was. And I have never been like that in my life and I never will be. This 
need to please someone. What made you so trusting of him? Because of what he said over the three weeks beforehand. It was, I can't even begin to describe how I got into his clutches and how I believed everything he said. I, I kept saying to him, how is it you have not found the right person prior to this? You must have been looking for ages. You're not that young. And he kept saying, the right person hasn't come along. They've always wanted my money. They haven't wanted me for myself. So he appealed to the poor old me. No one really trusts me. No one really understands me, that side of it. And that I kind of was drawn in by that. I just can't believe the stuff I, I believe. I'm just lost for words thinking I was sucked into that when I, I was thought I was very savvy when it came to being online. Um, I knew what signs to look for. I could tell who wanted a fling, who wanted, who sounded genuine, who just wanted a friend to go out with someone to listen to them. This was totally different. It was this. This man was talking about our future together. None of the others ever did. They only ever talked about going out, seeing each other regularly, having a relationship, having an affair. It was just um, unbelievable how he just sucked me in. It wasn't just the lure of the future together. There were other things Charlie had said that had got Vivian increasingly interested. When it came to sex, Charlie was into role play. More specifically, he was into BDSM, a topic that's usually introduced slowly and subtly. So how did that come up to begin with? I can't actually think of any words that he said, but it's almost like he was talking in the third person. It was always, I love you, so therefore you will whatever bow to my wishes. It was always, I will take care of you if you always do what I say and never defy me and never go against what I say. We'll have a wonderful life together and you'll always feel protected and that obviously never happened. Their first date would be everything dating sites warn their customers against. In any other situation with any other person, Vivian would have immediately recognised the warning signs and would never have agreed to Charlie's fantasy scenario. But after thousands of messages and having isolated herself to constantly text back and forth, day and night, she was completely under Charlie's control and totally subservient to him. I still can't believe how in a mere three weeks I could go from being a ton of confidence. I felt like when I met men, it was entirely my decision whether I saw them again, whether I kissed them, whether I spoke to them. It was like I was on my own terms. But with him, it was a total opposite. Whatever he said, I did. Whatever he... I can't even understand how it built up to the night he met me. And he came around, he had these set rules of what I was supposed to do. I had to have the gate unlocked. I had to have tea light candles all out the stairs romantic music playing and I had to be on the bed naked and on my hands and knees blindfolded. What woman in her right mind would would do that? Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Vivian was about to meet her online lover Charlie for the first time. But this was no regular first date. Charlie had been bombarding Vivian with text messages and her normal guard had dissolved, wooing her with promises of a world-travelling future combined with relentless messages eliciting his control over her. And with a mutual interest in pushing sexual boundaries, the stage was set. Vivian was to leave her house unlocked and wait masked and naked on the bed in a room upstairs lit only by candlelight. This was to be a new experience for her. But she was open to new sexual experiences and had enjoyed them in the past. I've been with a woman. It's not that unusual for a lot of people, but for some it is is quite strange. We lived together for 12 months. We were very happy. But I came to realise it was just a phase. For her it wasn't, but for me it was. Totally different to being with a man. It's just warm and soft and pleasuring and, and, uh, yeah, it's very, very different. More recent ventures into online dating had also thrown up some pleasant surprises. Fascinating reading on that site under personals. He put this ad that said, I forget what the heading was, it was something like seeking a mature older woman. And I thought, oh. So I had a look and he wrote words to the effect, I'm looking for an older woman who can show me the ways of the world, but I want someone who'll teach me how to please a woman. We would sit on the sofa, we would talk, we would drink champagne. If you wish to leave, that's your choice and you certainly can. If we choose to do nothing then that's fine. If we choose to do everything, that's fine too. And I wrote back, I couldn't help it, I just, (laughs) I wrote back and I said, will there be a queue of women at your door? Is there someone to hang my hat and my coat? You sound like a lovely guy. I'd be more than willing to meet with you. I'd love to talk to you and hear about your life and what you want in life and how you think a woman should be pleasured. Um, I'd equally like to show you exactly what I think works. I am a lot older than what you probably imagine, but what I lack in younger years, I make up for in enthusiasm. He wrote back and said, you've been shortlisted for the position. <laughs> and I wrote back and I said, wonderful, let's talk. So we did, and we emailed a couple of times, not many, and then we arranged to meet and we had a lovely dinner and we went to the Hyatt. <laughs> he was 28. <laughs> Um, and <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he was lovely. He was gorgeous. He was tall. He was good looking. He dressed well. I thought, what is the matter with this man? How can he must have women throwing themselves at him? He was just gorgeous. And but I realised he had a shy. He was a very shy, sensitive guy. It turned out he had a couple of relationships before. The girls he said were lovely girls, but not adventurous. And he wanted to learn how to pleasure a woman and make her happy and make her climax. So, yeah, we just had a, a wonderful night. We did exactly what he said. We had dinner and um, went up to the room and, oh, it was just lovely. It was just really, it was a beautiful night. And we had three other nights in the same hotel and he got what he wanted and so did I. And in the end, I said, you need to find yourself a lovely girlfriend the same age as yourself or similar. Um, we can't keep keep going on. You need to to find someone young. Now, having found someone close to her own age on Craigslist 
Vivian was about to meet Charlie in the flesh. Talk me through the first date. He turned up. I'd unfortunately left the door locked. He texted me and said, I can't get in if the effing door is locked. So I rushed downstairs, opened the door, rushed back upstairs, got back on the bed, my hands and knees, put my eye mask, and waited for him to come in. Looking back now, I cannot believe how stupid I was. I can't believe the risk I took when I'd never, ever taken any risks in the past with online because I'm well aware of what could potentially happen. I always took precautions. I was safe. I made sure someone knew where I was. This time I didn't. I didn't let anyone know. He could have killed me. He could have done things and filmed everything. He could have plastered all over the net. The risk I took, I feel sick to think about it. Now, with the flood of con men and scammers in today's world, it's easy for most of us to sit back, especially after the fact, and see the obvious signs that should have rang immediate warning bells. But Charlie was good, a professional in the art of deception, manipulation and control, and he would have chosen Vivian very carefully. I was to find out later that many of his victims were confident, accomplished women, just like Vivian. And for all their confidence, what a lot of accomplished women don't like to do is admit they've been had. And the con men know it and rely on it. No, he's never going to stop and he's going to keep getting away with it because he's very good at choosing his victims. He's very, very good at sussing them out. Um, he's, he's a sociopath, he really is. He's very good at what he does. And he's been doing it for a very long time. Online con men will often test the water throwing out test questions to see how the land lies and how malleable their new victims might be. If they seem okay with one slightly less than normal request, they'll throw out another and another. It's a telltale sign of grooming. If you ever spot this in your own life, back out and back out immediately. We are all vulnerable online, and if your instinct says to get out, then my advice is to heed that instinct, to get out and stay out. We're going to meet. I'm going to do exactly what he tells me. It'll be the start of our life together. I'll never have to want for anything, but he wants me to be financially independent. The conversation was just about our future together. He's been successful. He's now retired. Money's no object. We'll do this, we'll do that. I could hear him coming up the stairs. He came in. He said something like, I'm here, I can't even remember what he said. You look beautiful, I love the candles, gave me a few compliments. We didn't have sex, oral sex, but not not normal sex. And then he ripped off the mask and I saw him and I was shocked. He looked old, he looked craggy, he looked looked as though he'd had a very hard life, drank a lot. He was scrawny, he was a bit muscular, but thin medium height, not particularly tall, just looked old. But by then I was so in love with him, it wouldn't matter if he had two heads. It was all about this perceived future we were going to have together. The whole relationship was built on him promising me of the world and me being stupid enough to believe it. Did he ever send you any photos of himself? No. Did he ever describe himself or what he looked like? No. No. He could have been, oh, I think he might have said it. I can't remember exactly, but... I got the impression he was just average build, average looking, average, average. It is really important as an investigator to be empathetic and non-judgmental. 
You have to understand that when your clients come to you, they are in an extremely vulnerable position and are most likely feeling embarrassed on top of everything else. When Vivian was telling me about her first date with Charlie, I had assumed the plan was for Charlie to stay the night. We didn't get that far. I imagine we'd lay together in, in blissful happiness and go to sleep. He never, ever stayed over. Never. Rather than the romantic end to the evening Vivian had been hoping for, the reality was decidedly different. Charlie got up, took a shower, and the two of them spent the next two hours at the kitchen table in near silence while Charlie chain-smoked and then left, disappearing into the night without any indication of where he was going. That's it, the path of... I never knew when he was coming. He would just turn up or he'd send an SMS, I'll be there at six. That was pretty rare. Usually it was, he might turn up at seven. If he said he'd be there at six, he was never on time. We'd get in my car, we'd drive down to the local supermarket, we'd walk around together like a happy couple, we'd buy food, he'd cook a French dinner. He was actually a very, very good cook. I don't know how he learnt to cook beautiful French food, but he did. He made me eat rare fillet steak because I stupidly let him know that I can only eat it carcinogenic. I love my steak very burnt. He made me eat raw oysters, because I will never eat those. He made me eat those. Whatever I told him, he made me do the opposite. As a challenge? Yeah, the challenge, yeah. He's very good at picking his distance. He interviews, he's very good. He glares at you, he studies you. He picks up your body language. He's very, very good, he's very cunning. The first 10,000 I gave him, he said, I want you to be financially independent of me. I've got my own wealth. You obviously haven't, but what you've got, I want to invest it for you and grow it. It will take us about 12 months to two years to grow the money so that you'll be financially independent in your own right and you'll be able to fly family members over to stay with us when we're in France. It was all built on this, I want you to be financially independent. He did pay me some interest on the first 10000 It came in three increments, three instalments, and then it was 30 after that. What at first appeared to be one woman's awful experience of Charlie was far from it. No one could have foreseen the plethora of scams and female targets that would lie scattered across the globe. One man's evil, sadistic world that would trap victim after victim leaving them demoralised, broke and emotionally scarred. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I never thought a man could get to me the way he did. And I was totally in love with him. I would have done anything he said. And I don't know how. He's nothing to look at. He had no personality. He didn't 
it was almost like he spoke to me as though he didn't think much of me, like I was just a useless child. And that was a totally different experience for me. I'd never had that. Not that I walked all over men or anything like that, but I was confident when I used to go out with men. And if I didn't like something, I'd just say, sorry, I've got nearly start in the morning, I've got to go. And I'd just go. And if they kept ringing, I'd just ignore them. Whereas this was, it was this domination thing, this master thing. Oh, look, the, when the texts were all printed out, it was sickening. The stuff I wrote back to him, the rubbish he wrote to me, the rubbish I wrote back. So what's one of the first things leading into the whole domination thing? You must always obey me. You must always obey your master. And the first time I heard that, I laughed. I thought, what the fuck? Master? You're going to be joking. This is... <laughs> but he kept saying it over and over and over and over again to the point where it seemed like saying mate or just a normal word. And do you love and obey your master? I'd stupidly write back yes. And... It became that he's the manager and the boss and the master of me and I have to just obey and do whatever he says. And he said, if I ask you to do something, will you do it? And he said, because you know what happens if you don't. And I'd write back and say, no, I don't know. And he'd say, you'll never see me again. So it was this threat that he will walk away if I don't always do exactly what he tells me. Vivian told me she can't remember the exact tipping point of when she became completely under his control. But the great sex, the shared love of all things French, and the promise of a future together all added up to her having total trust in him. And that's exactly what he needed her to have. He asked me to do things that a normal, decent man would not ask you to do. At one night he said... You're to find a man under 30 years of age um, and he's to turn up here by 9pm and you're to have sex with him and I'll be watching. I knew a lot of men from the ones I'd stayed friends with online and there was a lovely man I'd been chatting with for ages, months, and for some reason we never ever got around to meeting. We were happy just talking. We'd chat about life, about other people, friends, work, anything. It was just a nice, it was like a pen pal. In desperation, I knew he was about... I think it was 28, 29. I rang him up and I said, I need you to do me a really big favour. I'm in a terrible mess. He said, oh, what's wrong? And this is all true. It sounds too ridiculous to believe, but I said, I need you to come round to my place tonight before 8 o'clock and I need you to pretend you're having sex with me and someone else will be watching. He says, what the? I said, please don't ask me any questions. I'm just in this mess. I trust you. Will you do this for me? He said... Is he gay? I said, no, 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 he's not gay and he won't touch you. He'll be on the other side of the room. He's just a warped, weird person and I'm going to be in a lot of strife if this doesn't happen. So fortunately, he was kind enough to turn up and Charlie had said, do not kiss him. You do anything but don't kiss him. And I couldn't help myself. I gave him a kiss at the door and I whispered in his ear. I said, we'll go onto the couch. He won't touch you. He'll be standing in the kitchen watching just pretend we're having sex, just moan and groan a bit and then grunt at the end and that's it. I'll toss you some tissues, then you can wipe and go home. He says, that's it. I said, yeah, that's it. I know it sounds stupid, but that's all we have to do. He says, why are you doing this? I said, I can't explain it. It's all part of what I have to do. I must have lost my mind at the time to be going through all that. 
fortunately, he did exactly what I said. And we were on the couch. There was candles burning. There was music playing. He walked over and shook hands with him, with Charlie. And he um, shook hands and walked back to the kitchen the other side of the bench and just stood there making coffee. So I said to the other guy, right, we're going onto the couch. I'll get on top of you. We'll pretend everything's going fine. Just moan and groan a bit. Not too long. And then that's it. Then you go home. And... I got belted afterwards with his leather belt because I kissed him. I disobeyed him. It was like I was some child who was chastised. The punishment was always lashings from Charlie's belt. Some days Vivian said she struggled to sit down due to the bruising and welts around her bottom and thighs. Yet she endured the pain and the challenges continued. Charlie was busy constantly using three mobile phones, making calls and sending emails. He claimed these calls were largely to his business broker in Geneva to discuss syndicates and to buy failing businesses. He didn't dwell on the details of his own business affairs, but he did spend a great deal of time encouraging Vivian to speak about her finances and had also told her how he could grow her wealth if she were to invest it with him. My whole mission in life, according to him, was to provide him with money and provide him with value. The request for money had become incorporated into their sex life. Charlie would set challenges. Vivian had to come up with thousands of dollars by a particular deadline and leave it for him in cash in an envelope. He had warned her that if she failed these challenges, she would be punished. Over time, these challenges became even riskier. It was such a toxic and dangerous relationship. Vivian had always been a confident and strong woman, but now she found herself broken and overpowered by a man she realised she hardly knew. Like a bad drug she took by mistake, she had become addicted to him and there was nothing anybody could say or do to break the hold Charlie now had over her. It was all about controlling and intermittently it was this giving him money, this you can't get 10 grand by five o'clock. Why on earth would I give a total stranger money if he doesn't like how I am or what I do too bad? But at that particular moment in my life, he he has, it was like he preyed on, on myself and it was only after about two months that I thought, I have to stop this, I've got to get away, I can't do this anymore, I'm at risk of losing my house, because he taught me into taking my long service leave in the hope I'd get the money. Unfortunately, that didn't happen, it came in increments. So for that whole time, the whole three months after I took my long service leave, I did nothing but sit around in lingerie waiting for him to turn up. It was like I abandoned my entire life. Close friends, Tried to, looking back now, they tried to help me. They tried to speak to me. They begged me to let him go. They begged me to not speak to him anymore. Don't give him any money. I would, it was like they were to, like talking to a smoker, telling him to give up smoking. It just goes straight over your head. You don't un, you don't hear it. You don't want to hear it. You don't listen. And I had about half a dozen friends beg me to let this guy go. It was no. It was like asking me to not breathe anymore. By December 2011, Vivian was struggling financially. Charlie had promised her a relationship, financial freedom, and a better life. But the reality of what she was now facing was very different 
doubts had set in, and she wasn't even sure Charlie was actually called Charlie. I was immediately sure he wasn't. She had become meek, lacked confidence, had shut herself off from her friends, and was now almost $70,000 in debt. The more she pleaded with Charlie for her money back, the more he would become distant from her. I asked Vivian what it was that finally made her say enough was enough. Her reply, that she was shattered, broken, humiliated, frightened and bankrupt, galvanised me more than anything to take this case. This was a disgusting, vile, violent, lying, immoral man, and exactly the sort of person that makes me pursue a case to the bitter end. I cleared my desk. There was work to be done. Next time on Chasing Charlie. At the police station, I told them everything, how I'd met him on Craigslist, that we'd only known each other a few months, that he had taken money from me and hadn't paid it back, and though I didn't believe he was who he said he was. Yeah, it didn't take that long to spot him. I mean, he's not much to look at. Went to several addresses, took his tools with him inside each time, and uh, ended up at a uh, apartment complex in Richmond. It wasn't long before I had the vital piece of information that would change the course of my investigation completely. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, leave a review and recommend to another true crime fan. Make sure to subscribe to Chasing Charlie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts to keep up to date with the latest instalment. If you have further information on this story, please reach out to us at chasingcharlie at fremantle.com. The content of this podcast is a result of Julia Robson's investigation into Charlie and information provided to her by his victims. Some names have been changed to protect the identities of those involved. Chasing Charlie is a Fremantle Australia production. Executive producers Jesse Klass and Liz Burnett. Series producer Rebecca Vallis. Original concept and writing by Julia Robson. Edited and mixed by James Ezra, with additional editing by Katie Morris. Recording and technical assistance by Alex Elliott. Legal and business affairs by Maddie Marchant. Recording assistance by Brendan Ganey and Tom Lawton, with additional research by Georgina Rain. Stefan Dennis plays the voice of Charlie. If you have been affected by any of the issues raised in this podcast, please contact Lifeline on 13114, Beyond Blue on 1300 224636, or another crisis hotline in your local area. We are grateful for the help of the victims and families involved in creating this podcast. Thank you.